Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. The 2020 film Soul concerns, um, as it even implies, uh, souls who uh, return to, to Earth. And joining us today to talk about many of the films, uh, themes, and topics is TV producer Tracy Manser. Um, Tracy, thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I do want to mention a, a couple uh, resources uh, up front for everyone out there. I know that there is a crisis text line available if you need to reach out to anyone today. In the U.S., you can text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. In the U.K., you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. Depending upon where you are in the world, um, check your local listings, as they say. Um, again, thank you for um, joining us today. I appreciate it. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you. Right. Now, um, I sort of stumbled over the intro because Soul is, is a film which, in the interest of full disclosure, as people know, if, if I sound a little misinformed, I have not yet seen the, the, the film. I, I know my, my watch list is, uh, you know, <laughs> my, my long and, uh, and whatnot. So that is one of the films on my, on my watch list. But that does cover the gist of it as far as what I had stated, though, correct? From Yes. Okay. So it's about uh, Joe, who is a musician who's trying to find his thing trying to get that famous that one gig that's going to set him off on the right path and then he dies and his soul goes to that other place and he tries to scramble to go back because he's like I haven't done what I'm supposed to have done yet um and yeah it's it's I mean as with all Disney Pixar movies it's charming and lovely and delicious to watch but there are always really good subtle undertones and kind of lessons that we can learn from from the movies. Correct. Now, um, I, I did just want to interject and, and perhaps unnecessarily interject, but um, I know many people will be listening saying, what, this podcast host isn't familiar with the movie he's talking about. And and I just wanted to defer everyone to, um, do you remember Larry King, who, who, who passed yeah. on recently? His interviewing style uh, tended to be, more often than not, I, I saw his interviewing style to be kind of, you know, and you are sort of questioning where he where he'd go in deliberately unprepared, not to be unprepared, but just to kind of have a more conversational, you know. Absolutely. I think yeah, it can make you so, a better interviewer. Yeah. And, and so I sort of have it at the very mind. So it's not necessarily that I intentionally did not prepare it's just that there's there, you know doing a podcast you know the life happens and that always prepared as, as i'd like and it's also it's a new movie as well yeah, it's only it, been out it, a few months i mean it's up for hundreds of awards at the moment during awards season so, exactly yeah. so i so i just i just wanted to interject that because i know that it's um, you're forgiven Brian. Yeah. you're <laughs> forgiven <laughs> And, and 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 more so because the film, I mean, and, and the podcast is not necessarily a movie-oriented podcast. So I kind of have my bases covered as far as like that, yeah. as far as that goes. So <laughs> um, now the um, now I understand, and you had mentioned um, that there was a not so good um, thing that um, 
that that you, that you encountered that sort of let, you know brought you on, on your journey into yeah so well kind of the reason that soul resonated with me so intently is uh within the film there's a character called 22 who's voiced by Tina Fey and 22 is a soul who hasn't yet been born to earth and given a body We'll call her she, although they're kind of sexless beings, but because it's voiced by a female. So 22 is kind of fighting against learning how to do stuff and fighting about going to earth to be put into a body. She doesn't want to go because she's scared. She's freaking out about it. But during the the movie, and I'm not giving too many spoilers here and certainly not the ending um, so that you'll still watch it. Yeah. 22 is accidentally found on earth and is in a body and gets to start living a life and realizes how much she enjoys it. And it, the reason that resonates with me so much is for 15 years, I had crippling panic attacks to the point where I was almost physically sick every time I left the house. I was still able to go to work. I still had a great career, but I had nothing else, I had very few friends certainly no relationships to speak of kind of in a romantic sense and really shuttered myself away from the world um which is very similar to the character of 22 which is sort of why it resonates with me so much cool cool and don't you like that when when you when you come across a film that you see it and and you you have an instant relatability to something yeah and not with a lead character either it's sort of the supporting cast you kind of go oh my god that's so me I mean it happens with many films I know you've spoken on other episodes about Inside Out which again from the Disney Pixar world I think they have a really good ability to touch on those human subjects that are real and valid and happening in the world but they do it in such a nice gentle way and because it's animated it it sort of seeps into us without affecting us or triggering us which a live action film could possibly do so yeah I mean I I think 22 as well as being hilarious I think she's a really lovely character and and one of the one of the things about um not having seen a film yet um, when when a podcast is being recorded is that I get to go into a film with added insight because like a standard review won't necessarily be from the perspective of anything mental health related. Sure. It'll be kind of like a, you know, in in a vacuum as it were. And so if there's um, additional insight relative to you know a, a mental illness or mental health um, aspect then I'm more inclined to see it you know yeah. what I mean because if I if I hadn't had the additional input I would be less inclined to, to sure I mean, if, I mean if you were to have watched the film yesterday you probably would have watched it from the position of Joe who's the yeah. lead character is the male character in the film if you watch it after speaking with me, you'll take more notice of 22 and the character and the dynamics that Joe and 22 have and all of the other supporting cast that's there, whether they're animated or real life doesn't matter. So, yeah, I think it's it it's great to be able to get somebody else's input in, in all areas of life, not just through watching movies. But, yeah, seeing seeing it through someone else's eyes is 
is a way of kind of living their understanding of something. Definitely. And and added value for those listening, you know, rather yeah. than just having, um, yeah. you know, this, but so, yeah, so that's always, um, that's, that's always a good thing. I know there was a movie a few years ago, uh, Wonder, where it, it yeah. told the story from these, so it was the same story, but basically, but it was told from three different perspectives the, absolutely um, the, the 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 kid his sister i think it was his, his yes sister, and then uh his, his friend so he had the same story but it was told three different ways that he got an appreciation for what um not to get too, too sidetracked but but i always like that when when i can like re-watch it from a different perspective absolutely that's, that's, that's always yeah. so cool uh, um now um Panic attacks are something that I understand you are no stranger to, but you would be a stranger to those today now, if that. Yeah. So I unfortunately was sexually assaulted. I was actually on a blind date, and through various reasons, I was tricked into following the person I was on a blind date with, and he and his housemate raped me. Um, over the course of a couple of days. Up until that point, I had been working in television in London, living a very showbiz, lovely life, out four or five nights a week, great social life, lots of friends, just really having fun. And I was just about to turn 24. So no kind of worries in the world. Everything was going perfectly as far as I was concerned. And then that event happened And I completely withdrew from life. I didn't feel at that time that I was able to report it to the police because I had willingly gone to this man's home, albeit premeditated on his behalf. And I was very much a a sort of unknown person walking into this situation. But I, I didn't tell anyone what had happened. I didn't go to the police because at the time, and we're going back a fair few years now, it was always kind of the onus was on the woman to prove that she wasn't drunk or hadn't been wearing a short skirt or you know, the fault was kind of put on to the woman at the time, less so than it is now. And obviously the Me Too movement has made great steps forward in, in helping that. And I'm not here to talk really about sexual assault because there are many, many brilliant companies and help lines and support networks out there that can do a much better job than I can. But the result of that for me was that from withdrawing from life, I lost my self-confidence. I stopped going out. I withdrew from my friends. I didn't see my family. I had just bought my first flat. So I was conveniently able to use the excuse of, oh, I've got a mortgage to pay to not go out. But actually I could have gone out and I had those abilities. I just didn't trust myself to be in a position around people that I didn't know, therefore didn't trust. And yeah, for 15 years I had panic attacks. And for me, they kind of came through as It was like somebody had turned the lights off in my eyes, turned my sound down. My hands and my feet would go cold. I would shake and I would just be glued to the spot. My my heart would be racing. 
a lot of people didn't know I was going through it. I became very good at hiding it from those that I worked with. And my career still moved forward, but it didn't progress. Now looking back, it didn't progress in the way that I think it could have done without that happening to me. But yeah, for 15 years, I did nothing. I mean, even to the point of my own birthdays and kind of family celebrations, I have almost no recollection of many events because I would be in panic and your brain just shuts down. It's all you can do is to sort of stay in a moment with someone because you know they're talking to you, but it feels like they're talking at you and you have to kind of consciously find a way of hearing what they're saying and being able to answer. Yeah, yeah and hearing you say that, um, I, I'm always baffled, uh, to say the least, by people who I, I come across who refer to moments in their past by like by like year. I mean, literally by year. People who say, "Oh, well, in you know, nineteen eighty whatever, or in nineteen ninety yes. whatever," and and I and I hear them talk, and I'm like, "Well, I don't remember anything." Yeah. from my so, my father is the um, most incredible man in the world. He's my mentor and and yeah. one of my heroes in life. But he could tell you what he did the third Tuesday of August in nineteen sixty four in absolute clarity. Yeah. And I've got 15 years, which is just this sort of dull gray blur. I actually have to look back at my resume and my CV to yeah. go, okay, well, what project was I working on when that happened? Because I'll remember a project yeah. and therefore then I'll go, oh, okay. So that was at such and such a time. Cause obviously the dates are on my resume, yeah. but otherwise it could have been two years ago. It could have been 10 years ago. I really wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I'm always jealous of those people yeah, when they write like, their autobiography. I'm yeah, like, exactly. How did you know that? How yeah. can you remember what someone was yeah. wearing? Yeah, I can't exactly. remember what I had for breakfast <laughs> that day, let alone anything else. Yeah, and that's part of why I sometimes, you know, that, that there's that, that myth, uh, well, I don't know if it's a myth or stereotype about hanging you know like, like a song or a movie you know by a year because yeah that's a, a easy way to remember a year like if you know like you know i wasn't around the, i don't think you were around 1939 either but 1939 you would know 1939 okay you know all those movies that came out in 1939 so you remember 1939 as like this sure. legendary supposedly legendary year of movies or you remember you know 1984 you know for the orwell book or whatever was going on in 1984 and, the, and so kind of like you have these these little yeah, I like to call them emotional buttons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got uh, a silver bangle that I had created after I'd sort of overcome my panic attack years, um, which has a phrase on it. And for me, wearing that every day is a real kind of emotional button to remind me of how far I've come. But it's the same with music or a smell. These things are always really evocative of of usually good memories, but they can also be linked to some bad ones as well. But yeah, yeah I like creating those emotional buttons now moving uh -huh. forward so that actually I do have a recollection of, of things and I'm I'm not missing out on any more of my life. Yeah. Yeah, but but that, that not remembering stuff though, that can be a, a common symptom though, right? When Yeah, when it's a way of protecting yourself. Yeah. It's a way of the brain I mean, I'm obviously not medically trained and I'm sure there's people much cleverer than I am that can explain it much better. But for me, I think it was a way of kind of self-preservation, really, of just if I'm not really here and present and 
not providing value or being kind of having intent of of my presence then I'm I'm kind of coasting through I'm here but I'm a bit of a ghost at the same time so it was a protection mechanism so was the um the, the path to recovery, which I would imagine is is ongoing currently, since the, it, there's always a myth of like it and and date and start. It's but every day, it's, yeah, every day. I will always have imposter syndrome. I will always struggle with different things. But yeah, for me, the route out was after basically 15 years of living this way, and my career, I'd been reasonably successful, and I'd been very fortunate to work on some incredible shows. But nothing else happened in my life. You know, I didn't have the bad boyfriends and the bad breakups and eating a pint of ice cream with a girlfriend because I wasn't happy enough to be going out or confident enough, I should say, to be going out and meeting those people. In fact, there's a line in in the movie where Joe, the lead character, says, I'm afraid that if I died today, my life would have amounted to nothing. And that, for me is very resonant of what happened to start my route out. I was out for dinner with a girlfriend a week before I turned 40. And she kind of said to me, you know, what are you going to do for your birthday? And I invited a couple of friends to come to my house for for dinner and drinks. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to come, which is why we were celebrating early. And I kind of said, oh, I'm just doing this thing. Uh, Why don't you do something you've never done before? And it was this real throwaway line, really simple. She's just like, just do something fun, you know, just just do something. And she knew some of the struggles I was having. She was kind of my inner circle of like five close friends. Yeah. I said, maybe you're right. Maybe I will do something. And I got the bus home in London. Public transport is everything. So I was on the number 73 bus and pulled out my phone and I wrote a list of, I think it was maybe 10 things that I'd never done, but I'd always wanted to do. And it's kind of, oh, when, when am I going to do them? Oh, I'll do it one day. You know, it's very easy to put things off. Yeah. And what she'd said to me started that process of me thinking, well, when is one day? When am I going to do these things? Because I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and go, all I ever had was my work. Now, I love my job in television. I absolutely love it. But that's not all I could be or all I should have. So I wrote this list of 10 things and sort of popped it away and didn't think about it again for a few more days. And then on my birthday, I had four close girlfriends came around for dinner. And I told them and I was like, you know, my friend had said this. And they were like, yeah, that sounds amazing. So they asked me what was on the list. And one of my girlfriends said, oh, I'll do that with you. And then another one said, oh, I'll do that one with you. So again, it sort of set this idea of, well, maybe I should do some of this stuff. And if there's someone else with me, that gives me a bit more confidence to do something. Yeah. And within a week, I'd actually written a list of 40 things I'd never done, but had always wanted to do. Yeah and decided the only way I was ever going to do them was to hold myself accountable. Because whilst my girlfriends were saying, yeah, we'll do it with you, they really weren't invested in it. They weren't things that they wanted to do. They just wanted to be really lovely friends and support me. So I started an anonymous blog and wrote out the 40 things. 
and then promptly did nothing for two months because, you know, <laughs> that's what we do and yeah. have a panic attack about it. But two months later, I decided that I needed a bit of a vacation, a couple of days away. Yeah. And I took myself off to Paris and that's easy to go to from London. Yeah. You just hop yeah. on a train. And I spent a day at the Louvre walking around with the headphones on and the little guided tours. Yeah, yeah something I'd always wanted to do, but had never done. Now I'd been to Paris several times with work and different jobs, but I'd never been there as a tourist. I'd never been to the tourist attractions. I'd been to the Louvre, but it was to do some filming. So I hadn't seen all of it. So I just spent the day walking around on my own and loved it. And I felt at the end of that night, I felt such a sense of, wow, you've achieved something and on your own. That, and that took confidence to do. Yeah. And then when I got back to London a few days later, I got that list out again, ticked Paris off the list, mm-hmm. and then looked at it and was like, right, okay, there's 39 things still to do. Come on, Trace, <laughs> let's get on and do them. Cool. Cool. So called up the girlfriends. Yeah. Like, I'm setting myself a rule. I can do half of these with you. Half I have to do on my own because otherwise it's just me coming along to something rather than me actually pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And I did. And throughout the year, we kind of hit things off. And just a note to anyone else that's thinking of this, don't make the same mistake I did of two of the things on the list. I said, once a month, I will do X. Well, instantly that's 12 things if you're doing them in a year. So suddenly my list really went from 40 to 64, which is more yeah. than one a week. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite a challenge. Cool. Now, I, I want to, and I hope this is okay to say, and, and, yeah. I, and I say this both on my behalf as well as I would imagine countless listeners out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for not calling that list another term that, pl- please don't say the, say the phrase, that whenever I hear that- Beginning with the letter B- Correct. Yeah, whenever no, I hear whenever that. whenever I hear that phrase, I no. I immediately tune out because no. that phrase has become so cliche. And yeah. you don't you're not talking cliche. I no, no, because I wasn't at the end of my life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and so I called it forty for forty. Yeah. So I that sounds better. I yeah. like that. With it was what forty challenges during my fortieth year. Yeah. Um, you know I mean, that, that, there are still things that I want to do that I haven't yeah. ticked off that. Yeah, not to be named Voldemort list. Yeah, that 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 other term. I don't like that when people call it that. No, I don't like that term at all. And so no. I'm not going to say that on the radio. But again, I just wanted to, to thank you for oh. uh, accurately calling it something more appropriate. Yeah. Well, the forty for forty list. Yes, that but sounds yeah, better. as I say, don't don't make it sixty four for forty because <laughs> really it's a lot to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, for those who are looking to, uh, you know, baby steps or giant steps or some combination thereof, yeah. what would you recommend would be like, drawing a blank on how, how to ask this, what would be the, 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 the best way to get to that first step? Obviously, you have to sit yourself down and give yourself a good talking okay, to yeah. first, <laughs> but the things that I did, I mean, I started with Paris, which looking back was a huge thing for me to have done. I did much simpler things closer to home. And also I did things that were free and available Mm -hmm. because 
I didn't have a huge amount of money. I'm certainly not a millionaire. I know I talk with a fancy British accent, but, you know, I was like everybody else living paycheck to paycheck. I did things like just taking a yoga class. That's really simple. I'd never done it. I wanted to have like a proper British afternoon tea. So, you know, there's a little cafe down the corner that will probably do that for you if you ask them. So I, for, for anyone else that's sort of thinking, oh, actually this may be a way out, write the list of things that you want to do, but then look at them and kind of plot them out as to what is achievable and what is affordable and then limit it within your own specific area. I mean, I, in in the UK, we have uh, the 5th of November is Guy Fawkes night where we have fireworks. It's the one night of the year that we really do go to town with our firework display. My, I have an older brother, he's five years older. His birthday is the day after Guy Fawkes night. So we always used to celebrate and either have his birthday the day before or would yeah. use the fireworks the day after. My birthday's two weeks later. I never had fireworks on my birthday and I was always really jealous of him growing up. So I decided I'm blooming well having fireworks on my birthday. So, I mean, that didn't cost a huge amount of money, Mm -hmm. but it has brought me many, many, many years of joy because I did it. So it's kind of finding those baby steps that you feel comfortable with. I wasn't comfortable to do one of the things which was to go skinny dipping and I will keep this PG rated but I'd never been in a position where I was able to even have considered doing that but I was lucky enough that with one of my girlfriends one of the things I wanted to do was learn to surf so we went down to the west country of England in Cornwall and there there was a hotel and we had a pool and there were twinkly lights in the ceiling so under the stars, I got my kit off and, and went skinny dipping. It was private. It was yeah. completely secure, but I did it. So there's there's ways of kind of interpreting your list to, to do little steps. And it was across the year, each of these little steps built to feeling more confident each and every time. Now, I had panic attacks all the way through this. My stomach churned at the very thought of doing some of these things. I didn't know if I was going to even consider doing the 40 things or whether I was just going to do one or two and that would be it. And then it would sort of just become this list that disappeared into the ether. But because each step made me find myself again, that person I'd been at 24. Yeah. Each, I worked with a coach and he had a a saying that, you know, every inch you move forward is those kind of millimeter shifts, those inch big shifts, they're in the right direction. And and that's what this was for me. So each of the things I did was one more step in the right direction. And it wasn't a race and it shouldn't be a race for anyone else. Anybody doing this, do it on your own timeline. I just, for me at that point in my life, trying to achieve it during the year was a really good kind of set of parameters for me. And and I imagine it doesn't, it does not look the same for everyone. So no, someone's list might look, you know, 
Absolutely. Things. I mean, if you'd ask some of my girlfriends that I did some of these challenges with, they would have gone, oh my God, that was the simplest thing. Going on a roller coaster is really simple for them. They wouldn't have found a challenge in it at all. For me, being in a crowd of people lining up to go on a roller coaster and then going on the roller coaster was huge. It was a massive step to the point where I almost sort of got out of the line several times and they had to physically restrain me to keep me there. But yeah, so everybody will do this at their own pace. And if you're not comfortable with it, don't do it. It's not a failure. It's another step forward because you thought about it, you planned it, and you can come back to it. We don't have to have a competition with each other about this. Absolutely. One thing I I was wondering about was the panic attacks, were those for the most part, um, did you have any uh, before no, or no. they were all. After. I was the most confident person. Okay. I was out. I would talk to anybody about anything, and then yeah, it was it was probably a slow process of those coming on, and I think it was me withdrawing from life, and then when I had to go back out there, that's when they really started, and the longer it went on, the worse they got. It sort of became this self-fulfilling prophecy of I can't go out because I have panic attacks whereas actually maybe if I'd been able to give myself that love and find some help earlier it wouldn't have been as bad as it was. Yeah because the process you're describing seems to be more of of a trauma like that term trauma informed. Yeah. Um, And I don't. I wish that the the, the, the trauma informed language and, and verbiage were more commonly used. Because Me too. what I what I found, and I don't, I don't know if you, if you share this opinion or not, but what I found is that everyone having a panic attack is automatically put in the same box, and I don't really I don't necessarily think that's accurate or even fair to the person who's going you know absolutely what I mean? because it's, you don't know what's caused that panic exactly attack. exactly so um, for so me it, it was fear of being in spaces with people i didn't know and that would start the panic attack but then they would come earlier in the day to the point where when leaving my house i would have a panic attack because i knew i would be in a position at some point during that day with people i didn't know so they started sort of coming sooner than the moment of actual panic. Yeah. But you know what I mean, though? It's, it's like there's often a tendency, for, granted, people who don't know any better, people who are incredibly ignorant, yeah. to uh, kind of like put everyone in the same box. And, sure. And, and, put, well, and, 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 also, that just, and that just drives me just, yeah. it, it makes me, it's, it's a huge pet peeve of mine because it doesn't respect the, the 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 dignity of the person it doesn't it doesn't respect what they've been through it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't respect what to bring to the table it basically looks at one piece of of, of the story and yeah. says okay okay this is this is the label you get yes. everyone who has this this is the label you get and it it just seems inc- incredibly um, you know inaccurate and incredibly absolutely I mean I I know somebody now who has massive panic attacks that come out as anger bursts of anger well mine were panic attacks were more sort of came out as a withdrawal so they're two completely different things hers come from stress 
-hmm. Mine came from fear. Mm -hmm. And yet we both have what would be termed as panic attacks. Now, thankfully, now we're more aware and it comes under the heading of mental health. Mm -hmm. Back then, when I was going through this, it wasn't considered mental health. It was just, Mm -hmm. oh, you have a panic attack. Full stop. That's it. We'll write you off. Yeah, and so much so that have you ever heard that term uh, depersonalization or derealization where Mm -hmm. you I did not know what that was until after I had long past had it. So when when I was going through these these panics that I had and moments where I, I just felt like I was out of my body or whatever. I didn't know what it was at that years later feels that, Oh, you had depersonalized moments. And it's like, is that what that was? It, Cause no yeah. one, no one could tell me what that was. Cause I, I had a hard time verbalizing what it was. Sure. And then, but that's why I, I don't kind of verbalize it as that. That's why I say for me yeah. and everyone copes with these differently and, and feels them differently. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was like, as I say, the lights being turned down, the volume being turned off, my extremities being cold and my heart racing because that's the only way I knew to describe it. I honestly, for the first few years, didn't even recognize that they were panic attacks. I didn't know that that was the heading that they came under. It was just this moment of fear. Yeah. Well, how have you been doing in in the past year with with all the, you know, the, the craziness that's been going on? I actually have been thriving. (laughs) This, I know for a lot of people, has been a horrendous year. Yeah. I am really lucky that having done these challenges, and I still had some panic attacks after that, but I was then able to work with a life coach. I went on a week-long intensive retreat, which gave me all of those tools in a matter of five days. And that's, I mean, nearly nine and a half years ago, and I haven't had a panic attack since. But that toolbox that I got from that course has helped me move forward to the point where during this last year, I mean, I was in the UK for the first five months of it. I unfortunately was only due to be there for two weeks, but got stuck. Um, You just, I've had those resilience moments of, I know what I can do. I know what the process might be of me starting to feel anxious for me. And again, for everyone, it's going to be slightly different, Mm -hmm. but I was able to take that step back. I was able to do the self-care. I mean, I have values and kind of mindsets and rituals that I still do to this day that I learn on that retreat Mm -hmm. that help me. One of them for me is not to talk negatively to myself So if I find myself doing that, it's like, oh, hang on. No, you need to stop that. Where's the positive? How can you flip this around? Let's focus on something that's better rather than something that you see as a failure or a negative or something bad. Uh, Another big one for me is getting outside every day in real daylight. And as we all know, London is not particularly known for its high glossy summers that last nine months. We're lucky if you get them for a couple of months, but I still go out for an hour long walk every morning. I'm very lucky. I have a dog and he loves walking. So he and I still go out every single day for at least an hour's walk, rain, shine, doesn't really matter. But that's important to me. And it sets my day up well. It's, I'm not a big meditator. I have 
still have issues. I would love to be able to meditate. And I've tried many different types and varieties of meditation. My brain is just always going, but I use that hour. I don't listen to podcasts during that time. I don't listen to music. I won't put headphones in, but we go so early in the morning that we see so few people. And that's my kind of conscious time of giving gratitude, working through what, what's my list of things I need to do today. How happy am I? Do I need to look after myself a bit better? What If that's the case, what do I need to do to make sure that happens? So that that hour is, it, it kind of accomplishes several things for me, which is exercise. I've burnt off 400 calories before I've even eaten my breakfast. I've taken my dog for a walk, which he loves. And I've given myself that hour of self-care to kind of sit out my day and work out what it is I I want to do that day. And there are days where I'm like, you know what? I need to take a step back today. I need to give myself a hug today. I need just to allow myself to breathe because I'm feeling a little bit under pressure. There are other days where I'm like, right, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And I come home and boom, 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 boom. And they're done. So every day is still different, but getting outside is, is really important to me. Well, definitely. And, and more so I would imagine that there are people listening today who probably aren't going to be getting out of bed today just they're they're you know it's not it's not in the cards for them today and so for those who probably aren't going to be getting out today you know what just absolutely exactly so speak kindly to yourself about it just go i'm not getting out of bed today and that's okay i am still a worthy human being i just want to stay in bed today that's fine there's nothing yeah, wrong with that. Definitely, and and the um and and they can have those um those moments of gratitude and reflection. Yeah. In, in that in that moment because as well, they can be grateful that they woke up and were able exactly. to make that decision. Definitely. For themselves, my decision today, and I'm grateful that I'm able to make the decision, is that I don't feel I can face the world, so I'm going to stay here where it's safe and I feel comfortable and cocooned in my bedding and. Maybe I'll put on a nice, clean pair of PJs or, you know, watch a movie on Netflix that is going to make me smile. It's self-care. And that's so tremendously important. But when we start saying things like, oh, I'm not getting out of bed today. I'm such a failure. I can't do this. People are going to hate me. You're setting yourself up badly from that moment. Now, it takes a lot of time Mm -hmm. to be able to switch that around but if you can, when you catch yourself saying those negative things, if you can then say, okay, that's fine. I've said that. But what is there that's positive as well? And if you can find one tiny thing, like maybe I'll open the shades a couple of inches so a bit more daylight comes in, then that's a positive thing. And and those who might be hearing this podcast, um, you know, and that's, one of the positive things and productive things you're doing today that's even that's a step in the right direction Absolutely. definitely so um so th- this is cool and that's um definitely yeah <laughs> um, i think sure. i think because we are so tuned in to comparing ourselves against others mm-hmm. we see it from reality tv which i hold my hand up that's how i've made my living for the last x number of years 
I love working on those shows. There's no way I would ever have wanted to be on one of those shows because you're under such scrutiny. But we have it with Facebook, with Instagram, with all of these social media things that have come into our lives, Mm -hmm. which can be incredibly powerful because it's a way that we actually also can find help. But because we see this glamorous photograph of our friend on a beach sipping a Mai Tai, wearing a bikini and looking Mm -hmm. slender and lovely and tanned, What we don't see is that three minutes before they stepped on a shell and now their foot's bleeding and they had an argument with the person that they were with five minutes before that, or they don't feel that confident. And that's why we only see them from the shoulders up rather than the rest of the body. So we don't know what else is going on. All we see is that like split second shot of what's happening in their lives it doesn't resemble the other 23 hours of their life that they had that day so we can't compare ourselves to what's going on in someone else's life all we can do is try to look at what my life was yesterday and go a little bit further from that correct correct and and i wanted to just um highlight what what you just said because i have a media arts background and obviously i believe you have a media background as well yeah so 30 years as a tv producer definitely and uh one of the things that i that i've always made a point of doing both out of respect for those who work on a film as well as just driving home the point that it's Make believe, you know, and even when it's a documentary, it can often be make believe. But um, yeah. <laughs> some of it's tongue in cheek. I, I say that, but just to, to kind of just always stay for the end credits, which is kind of more socially acceptable now than it used to be. But that's one of the things that the little small thing I do, just to kind of honor the work that's been done on, on a TV show, on a film. Oh, because- why do you say that? I was watching a show on HGTV last oh. night, which is the UK version of, or the, the international version of uh, Dream Lottery winners mm-hmm. buying a property. Yeah. And I sometimes will flick off and move over, but I was like, oh, it's the UK. I wonder if there's anyone yeah. on there I know. Yeah. And actually one of my old work colleagues yeah. was on there and I was so proud. And I sent her a text message last night, which would have been like four o'clock in the morning for yeah. her. Just going, I've just seen your name. Yeah. And it's so lovely when people did that to me. Yeah. I'm like, I've just seen your name yeah. on something. It really does mean a lot to those people. Yeah, I mean- To I, know that they've, yeah. they've, their work has been noticed. Absolutely. And that's, and that, look at that, I always, because there's multiple people who work on a production oh, and yeah. it's, it just is Huge people, always, people often forget that. And I think that it's always, one of the things that, that ticks me off to no end is move. And you probably know this movies prior to 1970 something had no end credits. So mm-hmm. you'd be watching a classic movie and then it says like maybe director. And then you have like a, maybe five members of the cast and then the end. Yeah. It wasn't until I want to say 1970 something that you got the full end credits of a movie where you had like the first unit, second unit where the the, the end credits roll on for like five minutes. Mm -hmm. You didn't see that until fairly recently. There'd be some movies, I think from the 1980s where it was just as bad where I would give movies oh, on the cluster. And and they had a little more, but it was still not enough. Yeah. So the end credits we, we see today at the end of the movie were not that commonplace until probably only about 
20 years ago, 10, 15, Ooh. 20 years ago. There's another thing as well, that when those productions, if they're not made for TV, mm-hmm. so if it's a, a theatrical release first, mm-hmm. when it comes onto television, either they'll squeeze it over in a box to promote something else, oh, yeah. or they speed up the end credits. Oh, I, I hate that. So that. You can't see them. And I, yeah. I know that some of the studios actually took umbrance with that some years ago. I was like, no, we don't mind you squeezing us but it still needs to be in real time. Yeah. You can't start speeding through everything because people do, they want to see their names yeah. and or viewers want to go, my goodness, look at the amount of people that worked on this. Hundreds on a film, hundreds of people. Definitely. I mean, on a TV show, I've had everything from kind of a team of 15 up to 250 and taken over two hotels to be able to kind of house everyone. Yeah. Every single person on that production made that production. Absolutely. And that's why, like I said, it's um, on older movies, which kind of is ironic for me to say because I love so many classic movies. There's so many people in the film who you don't know who they are because they weren't, they didn't have proper crediting. And unless there's someone, maybe a family member or friend or family member or someone from the cast who can vouch for someone, Yep. That person's well, involvement obviously is... Obviously, now we have IMDb. Yeah, correct. And as a producer, I'm able to go in and actually add credits to my own name on there. Yeah, yeah. Some production companies now do it as part of kind of when the program's finished, mm-hmm. they will actually go in and make sure everyone's credit is added onto IMDb so that you do... Because not everybody can be credited on a TV show. We don't have time to put 150 people up there. Mm-hmm. So there, there is often editorial decisions about who is credited and who isn't. Mm-hmm. But when the production company actually puts your name up on IMDb, it's really satisfying to definitely, see. Definitely. I mean, and there are some things I wish I hadn't had my name on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I mentioned that not to get too, too off on, um, you know, left field, but I had mentioned that mainly to underscore your point about, you know, the media, because there is so much work that goes in before mm-hmm. people even see it. And there's often, uh, you know, a a misconception that what you see is all that there is. And that's not the case at all. Oh, no. (laughs) So, I mean, I can give you an example. I worked on the UK version of The Apprentice, obviously a hugely well-known production. We, on that, there are three teams in the UK that work on it. So there's the team that looks after the stuff that happens in the house and the the boardroom, Mm -hmm. and then the odd odd number episodes and then the even number episodes, they each have their own individual teams. It is a massive undertaking. And we would be working 15, 16, 17, 18 hours a day. And at times when you're in the middle of filming, it's seven days a week. We're supposed to get time off, but you know, there's still phone calls and you're still prepping or answering someone that's finally got back to you. So it, it is just this kind of juggernaut that keeps going. And you sort of sometimes when you're in those productions, you forget about the colossal size and the money and the months of prep that we did to even be able to do the filming. And then when you're filming, of course, those sort of challenges take part over two or three days. You get to see it in a one hour TV show. So there's so much footage that doesn't make it onto the screen. Yeah, 
absolutely. And and yes, there is a way of obviously condensing things down with editing. But you then, as a as producers of any show and or movie, you still then have a responsibility to make sure that what is seen is a true representation of what happened, whilst cutting out the bits that aren't really important to get to whatever that final decision was. True. But it, it, it's it's a really challenging job. And I mean, film is even harder. They take years to put together. Oh, yeah, that's something. And and I like I said, and, and again, not to overanalyze my reason for going off on, on some tangent here. But when people when people hear you say or hear me say not to take stuff with a grain of salt, that that's not just saying it, but that really is true, because there is so much work behind the scenes that most yeah. people don't really realize. So that that's yeah. kind of that's kind of my, my but then it's also the skill of the producers and the editors and the directors exactly. and people to actually craft it together. So it's something that your viewers will then find enjoyable because, you know, you can have somebody decorating a house on a home improvement show we don't need to see the paint dry we know it dries so that's you know that decision of kind of well we don't need to show us painting the wall from that nasty color into this bright color it just happens that's the magic of of watching yeah and and then i know that you've probably seen and many listeners have probably seen those those re-edits of like you know the shining or the exorcist as like a comedy cut mm-hmm. as a comedy or yeah. or an episode of friends cut as a horror movie stuff like that where which shows essentially the magic of editing because that's Absolutely. how that you know same story basically but with some yeah different music it looks like and a I, yeah i know like some that. people can get a little bit like that was my hard work that yeah. somebody's taken <laughs> but i i still think it shows kind of creative chutzpah that yeah. somebody wants to do that so yeah as long as they're not breaking copyright laws. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, now, um, yeah, so that's um, lots of good info here. And um, as, you, as I mentioned, I've had panic attacks previously, not so much um, anymore, but so mm-hmm. much of what you were talking about is stuff that I, I could definitely, I, I can relate to. And I would imagine many people yeah. listening today um, can, can as well. It, it um, took me a long while to recognize that I already had the answers and that I was worthy as a human being of giving love and receiving love. I was able to listen to my gut and trust it because I hadn't done that for a long, long time. And as I say, I'm still a work in progress. I am not perfect. I'm very happy being an imperfect human being, but I am still so grateful to get up every day and to now be in a position to actually share my story. And I hope, give other people hope that whilst they may be in the midst of something at the moment, if they're able, there is a way out. And I think that that for me is the biggest thing. I'm, I uh, have two mentors, Chris and Jen, who are super grateful for them being in my lives. And they actually have an acronym for HOPE, which is help one person every day. Help, help being, one person every day. I like that. Help one person every day. And by being a guest on your podcast and being able to talk to your audience, if I'm able to reach one person, then that's 
everything to me. That is the reason for me carrying on living now is to share my story and to let people know that therapy is brilliant. Medication is amazing. Counseling is incredible. Coaching for me, life coaching was what saved me. Having a friend to talk to who would listen is so valuable. And if you don't have those things, as you said at the beginning, there are resources available. There are people who are trained, who can help, who can offer support, who can be your accountability buddy if you need one. And as and when you're ready, reach out. Everybody likes helping other people. Everybody likes it because it gives us a sense of purpose. So don't be embarrassed about asking for help because actually what you're doing is giving a gift to someone else to be able to help you. Definitely. And lots of good info. Lots of good info here. Um, I I do want to mention a a few more resources um, before we go. Um, I know that there is Mental Health America, MHA National org. There's also NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI.org. MadInAmerica.com, as people have mentioned that. Um, Now, how would people get in contact? I believe you you have, um, there's also your website, um, StuffLeadsToStuff.com, correct? Okay, yeah. Yeah, Stuff Leads to Stuff. It's a phrase that the coach that I worked with Again, it was in one of those other kind of throwaway lines where in one of the modules that we were doing, he just said one day, well, you know what, if you do stuff, it leads to stuff. And that really struck a chord because if I hadn't written that list of 40 things, if that girlfriend over champagne and crispy duck pancakes in Chinatown in London (laughs) hadn't said, do something you've never done, then that wouldn't have resonated with me and I wouldn't be here today. I genuinely feel that that really saved my life. So yes, stuff leads to stuff. It it means a lot to me. um, And, and I hope it will mean something to other people. I'm, I'm coaching now. I'm helping people with their confidence, obviously still doing television as well. Um, But yeah, being able to share the lessons that I've learned and what worked for me may not work with someone else in the same way, but being able to be there and listen to someone's story, I think for me, it it brings me huge amounts of of joy and happiness and a sense of fulfillment. And really, I can't ask for anything more. Oh, definitely. And 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 again, I want to just... Acknowledge. I appreciate that you're speaking not in in a one size fits all kind of way, but but yeah. more or less acknowledging that it won't recovery won't look the same for everyone. And uh, recovery will, will look completely different exactly, for everyone. Exactly. Yeah, and it should because we're yeah. all individuals. Exactly. So we need to find what works for us. Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really love okay. this. And okay. go and watch Soul. It's I, I am going to, that is, it is still my watch list and I'm going to move it up to, um, so hopefully by the time this will be uploaded, I, I will have watched it by then. Oh, it might be an and, Oscar uh, winner by it, then. It, it's already yeah, so, so I'll have to, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, so that, so everyone's got a homework assignment if you haven't, and if you have watched already, that that's everyone's homework assignment to watch it again or first time if you're in the category yeah, like me. Give 22 a little bit of love. Exactly. So thank you everyone for listening um, 
stay safe, everyone. Uh, talk with you next time. Uh, bye.